Well, praise the Lord. It's so good to gather together. It's so good uh, uh, to celebrate the anniversary of the church next week. We're going to be looking at a special uh, text of Scripture, so I hope you'll um, uh, join us next week. And uh, just to celebrate God's marvelous, God's amazing grace to each one of us and allowing us to even be members of God's visible church and to honor and to glorify Him. I think it's always good for us to look back. You know, it gives us great confidence as we look forward, recognizing the grace of God that happens to be again in each, each one of our lives. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful to be able to preach to you this morning. To preach to you this morning. You know, I always think this is one sermon uh, less before I'm taken home to glory. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful again for the opportunity to share God's word. And one of the uh, things about expository preaching is you go through a passage of scripture and a lot of times you don't think that there's much there. And I think Acts chapter five is one of those chapters. There is so much drama that happens to begin in this chapter. I mean, it starts off with God cleansing the people of God, taking sin out of the camp. You know, we have this judgment that comes upon Ananias and Sapphira you know, because of their hypocrisy. And we see that there's a holiness brought to the church of the Lord Jesus. Right after that, the disciples start to preach. They start to teach. They start to do many miracles that happen to be through their name. You know, we see many people being added to the church, probably beyond number now. There's no other uh, number that's given about all those who happen to be um, added. So you can imagine how many people right now are following Jesus Christ. The, uh, the Sadducees hear about this, a high priest, and his number, and they become jealous because of the popularity of this new movement. So they take the apostles and they put them in prison till the next night. And during that night, an angel of the Lord comes and somehow um, miraculously lets them out of prison with the, with the order to go into the temple and preach the words of this life. I love how that describes Jesus Christ, the words of who? This life, in whom life is found. They're found uh, preaching into the uh, next morning when the council, when the Sanhedrin all gather together to judge them. They, they want these men brought forth, but they're in the temple preaching the gospel. The captain of the guard goes to arrest them, and they come willingly, so there's no riot that happens to be again right there. And they ask them, you know, why are you still preaching in this name that we commanded you not to preach in? And they say they have to obey God rather than man. And then they go on, and their defense is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And last time we were together, we looked at their response, which happened to be in verse number 33, which says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. And we looked at that word again, enraged. You know, and it basically means cut to the heart. And it can be either a good thing or a bad thing. Over in Acts chapter 2, we realize the people, here's all the people gathered on the day of Pentecost, and they were cut to the heart. They asked the apostles, what do we do with these truths that we are guilty before this holy God? And it led them to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus. Here, it leads them to rage. They want to kill these men. And I often think when you read this, having to be in the text, you have to ask yourself, why do they want to put the apostles uh, to death? I mean, what great evil have they done? Because the message that they preach is about the love of God, the grace of God in Jesus Christ through for the forgiveness of sins that happen to be again right there. And that's where the narrative seems to turn. You know, we, we seem to... to, to uh, a sense that this, uh, the apostles are going to be wiped out. But in verse number 34, we read, but, right? 
a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, like teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the man outside for a little while. Now, notice who this man is. He's a, man, he's a teacher, you know, in other words, a doctor, um, one who would have had a number of disciples that happened to begin under him. You know, he was very influential, and we can see something of his influence because here are these men, and they're out of control and rage. Their emotions are running wild. But, as, but the moment Gamaliel stands up, they begin to listen to him. They begin to listen to his counsel, to his wisdom. What I also think is interesting in this passage of Scripture is that he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees believed in miracles. They believed in the resurrection from the dead. Most of those who happened to be on the council happened to be Sadducees who didn't believe in miracles, didn't believe in the resurrection. But they listened to this man. He has clout again with them. And like I say, he was a very influential person in Judaism. In fact, there happened to be a follower of Gamaliel, a disciple of Gamaliel, that we're going to learn later on in this, in this history. In fact, in Acts chapter 22 and verse number 3, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the laws of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I mean, think of that. I mean, think of it because, because Paul is a uh, disciple of this man at this time. It's Paul or Saul of Tarsus, whatever you want to call him at this time. You know, and was he at Jerusalem at this time? Was he in this meeting? You know, did Luke write down, remember the, the disciples, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ are put out. Did Luke get his information for about what took place right here from the apostle Paul himself? We really don't know. But we realize this is, this is written. And we realize that the counsel, uh, the advice, uh, the wisdom that Gamaliel hands down, God used it to preserve the life of the apostles. But the question I want us to real grapple with as we grapple with this text, and I think it's always good to grapple with text, you know, to wrestle, to truly find out what they mean. And I think this is one of these texts that happen to begin right here. Because the question I want us to grapple with today is what do we do with the advice that Gamaliel gave? You know, I can remember uh, when I went to university, we were training uh, for the ministry, and we'd, we'd have a preaching class. And in the preaching class, they wanted to make sure that we learned how to exegete a passage of Scripture. And so what they would do is they would give us a, uh, a choice of various different passages of Scripture, and we got to choose those passages of Scripture, exegete them, and then present them, preach them before the class. Usually about, uh, I would say, 15, 20 minutes. You, you, you know, allow two or three people at a time to preach on any given class. And one of the passages was this passage that happened to be again in Acts. And there was two guys in, in my preaching class that actually chose this passage of Scripture and actually preached it on the same day. You know, you, you, know, you know, it was fascinating because the first person stood up and he said, you know, when you look at Gamaliel, Gamaliel's a wise man. You know, and one of the things that we have to do in real tight situations, in, really, in real situations where there's a lot of pressure, is we have to speak the truth of God's word. We have to stand up. We have to be brave. We have to be bold, even in the midst of opposition. And that was the thrust, again, of his message. The next gentleman, again, stood up, and he said, Gamaliel's an unbeliever. You know, and we have to watch out for the subtleties of unbelief. You know, and Gamaliel is an example that we ought not to follow. Now, here's the question. 
You know, here's one that says we ought to follow this example. And here's, here's another preacher that's preaching. We ought not to follow his example. And let me tell you, both of them can't be right. The question is, which one is right? And let me tell you, just to, if you don't already know, is the, is the second one. You know, and the main message that happens to be again right here is not only is God sovereign out of all of these activities and many times uses even the, the wisdom, that, the worldly wisdom of man, but it also tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt when we look at unbelief, it takes many forms. You know, it takes many forms, many, many guys. But what happens at, to be at the core of all unbelief is a rejection of Jesus Christ. You know, and even as we stated last time, when we look unbelief in the faith, in, in the face, we begin to learn about unbelief even in each one of our lives. And I think that's so healthy. Because the moment that we reject the word of God, you know, we are living in unbelief of God. Isn't it true? You know, and I believe when you look at unbelief many times, it comes with spiritual language. Gamaliel has spiritual language that happens to begin right here. And I don't know how many times this excuse has been used to disobey God. But it basically goes like this. You know, I really prayed about this situation. I really prayed about what I should do. And God gave me peace. You know, have you ever heard that statement? Because that statement's many times used. You know, this is what the Word of God says. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what the Word of God says, but I prayed about it. Let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, if God has spoken about something we ought to do or something we ought not to do. I don't need to pray about it. I, I don't need to wonder, what's God's will in this situation? He's spoken in his word, and he's told us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what we ought to do. But many times our unbelief comes with such spiritual language. You know, it comes with such spiritual phrase, phraseology that many times we have to look at, at it in the face and realize what it is. You know, and I want us to see this as we look at this passage of Scripture when we look at Gamaliel. You know, and I want us to walk through this passage of Scripture and then come to some conclusions about what he teaches and how we ought to apply it in each one of our lives. But first of all, I want us to really look through and see what he says and see his counsel. And I want us to look through it and just think about it. Just think about what's right with this counsel and just think what, what is wrong with this counsel. And we'll begin our reading at verse number 35, but look at what he says here. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, uh, Theatus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the, uh, the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But, it is, it, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And then we read, so they took his advice and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. You know, I think one of the most fascinating, one of the most glorious aspects of Christianity is we have the ability to receive counsel and also give counsel. 
You know, and I think a lot of times we think that those who happen to be, again, counselors are somebody, again, who happens to be an academic, somebody who happens to be trained. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you speak words, which I look down at all of you and all of you speak words, let me tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt, you give counsel. You know, and your words have power, don't they? You know, your words really stay. Uh, stay, with, stay with people. And many times when we're talking about our difficulties, our frustrations, or we listen to other people talk about their difficulties and frustrations, we give counsel. We give direction on what they ought to do. And I think, again, one of, one of the blessings that God has given each one of us is the ability to show one another Jesus Christ, to point one another to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think, again, one of the other blessings that happen to be of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ when we come to a community of faith like this is the ability to receive instruction from others. In other words, the ability to receive counsel from other people. The only people who do not receive counsel in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are those who don't think that they need it. You know, and they happen to be arrogant, they happen to be, again, proud, they happen to be, again, haughty. And a lot of times, even people are afraid of them because they realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, if they say something, it is going to be rejected. But one of the glories, I think, of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ and being involved in the family of faith is the ability to receive counsel. I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am so thankful for different individuals who have spoken truth in my life especially when I wanted to go a certain course, or I wanted to say a certain thing or handle this certain situation that happened to begin over here or over there a certain way. And they've come and redirected my heart, redirected my thoughts, redirected my life towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And it saved me from a lot of harm. It saved me from defaming the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it saved me, again, from really uh, troubling other people. And let me tell you, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't aren't you thankful for other believers who speak truth in your life? You know, if you've ever had people who've spoken truth into your life and directed your heart towards the Lord Jesus Christ, because think of this whole situation here, because it is rather unique. I mean, these men are just raving, aren't they? They're beside themselves with so much anger, so much so that they want to kill these individuals. You know, these individuals, these apostles are preaching a different way. They're preaching our guilt before this holy God. And they see their reputations, they see their lifestyle all tumbling down. And they want to eliminate the threat. And think of it, because a lot of times, isn't that what we want to do? You know, we have difficult people that happen to begin in our lives. And let me say this. If I was to ask you to be honest and put up your hand if you have difficult people in your life, and I'm not going to ask you to do it, I think all of us would put up our hands. You know, we think it's unique, don't we, that we have difficult people in our lives. And I think a lot of times when we look at those people, we think the best thing is to terminate them from our lives. And why? Because there's anger, there's rage, there's everything else. And let me say beyond a shadow of doubt, because we think we're better many times than these individuals that happen to be right here. But Jesus says when we are angry at our brother or sister in Jesus Christ, it's the epitome of murder in our hearts, isn't it? It's the same emotion that's driving these men to want to put them to death. Right? So Gamaliel, here he is in all of his wisdom, says in verse number 35, and he said to the men of Israel, take care about what you are about to do with these men. And I think that's really good advice. I really do. You know, I think a lot of times we need to slow down and we need to take care. 
you know, what am I going to say to this individual? How am I going to treat this individual? Because I can guarantee if there's motions going through us, if there's rage that happens to be going through us, so often we want to make this situation more about ourselves and Jesus Christ. Isn't it true? You know, and I wonder in these, in these uh, uh, circumstances and in these relationships that God has put in our life, how central is Jesus Christ? How central is his gospel? How central is the thought that I want to represent him? How central, even is this person who is doing me harm, that they are somehow spiritually lost or spiritually struggling? How much of my heart even goes to them? So often we want to make it about ourselves. And I think this is great, good, great advice. Take care about what you're going to do. Take care about how you're thinking about this whole situation. You know, and he goes on from there, and he gives a couple examples from history. He says, before these days, Thetis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Now, there was a Thetis that's known in history who led a rebellion of Israel against Rome, the only problem with this uh, Thetis is that it was after this point in history. And let me say, if that happens to be again true, you might have no problem with that because you don't hold to the inspiration again of the Word of God. But let me tell you, if you hold to the inspiration of the Word of God, then you somehow have to come up with an answer to that. And the answer is uh, to that, it's not very difficult. And it's basically this. This is a minor uprising that he's talking about. And Thetis is a very popular name in the ancient world. Now, I don't know anybody whose child is named Thetis. I really don't. You know, but this was a very popular name. And, and here, here's Gamaliel's whole point. Gamaliel's whole point is that this started to raise, rise up, and it looked like it was going to take off. It looked like it was going to be a problem, but all of a sudden... Thetis was killed, and all those who happened to be again followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. That's his whole point. And his whole point, again, with the second example that happens to be again right there, too. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census, uh, uh, I'm sorry, up in the days of the census, and drew away some of the people after him. He, too, perished, and all who followed him were scattered. Now, this was a larger uprising, and this is still remembered in, in, in the history books. And when you look at um, Judas the Galilean, he protested against what was known as a census tax. Now, what was a census tax? Well, in the days of our Lord, when his birth drew near, everyone went to their ancestral home, you know, because there was a census being taken. And the census was the census tax. And it was a tax that was paid. Everybody was counted in the Roman Empire, and everyone, again, who happened to live there would have to pay this tax. And you know what the tax went for? The tax went for the Roman occupation. That's what it paid for. So you can imagine how popular this tax was, right? All of a sudden, if you're living over here, you've got to go back here, you've got to be counted, and you've got to give money. You know, it wasn't very popular. And I can't think of any time in human history where taxes has been popular. You know, if you happen to be again here this morning, you probably have complained one time or another about taxes. But you can imagine this time where it happens to be again the Roman occupation. 
But, it, but here it is. It really threatened the religious leaders. It threatened their way of life. It threatened their reputation. It threatened how they lived, how they functioned. But here it came. It came, you know, all of a sudden here's Judas the Galilean, and he's killed, and all of a sudden it dissipates. You know, so he's giving these examples from history, and then he gives the central, what he sees as the crux, the theological, the Old Testament reason for this. And, and, you, uh, and you have it right here because he says this. He says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or, or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And then we read at the end, so they took his advice. The counsel that Gamaliel gives to them is to leave it to God. God is absolutely sovereign. And if this is not of God, God will take care of it. Doesn't need your help, doesn't need my help. But if it happens to be of God, then there's no stopping it whatsoever. But his main message is basically this. God is sovereign. His will is sovereign. And whatever he has decided will come to pass. Now, I do find it, again, a bit strange when you look at the, in this text that he doesn't talk about the uh, man who happened to be um, lame, who was given uh, the ability to, to leap, to walk, even though he was born in that condition. You know, he doesn't talk about the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which would have been well known that happened to be there. But when you look at him, there is a, an, a, a sense where this is rational, this is just, this is decent, again, what he has said. And let me just say this, I think a lot of times our politicians should be held to account a lot of times they pass really good laws. In fact, I would say about 95% of the laws that are passed in our land, we would agree with and we would, we, we would say, hey, praise God. I think it's only about 5% and it's probably even smaller than that, maybe 1% or 2% that really affect us and how we live and how we function. You know, and when all of a sudden man passes a good law, whether they happen to be again redeemed or not, you know, it is the image of God that happens to be in them. And we should be thankful for that image of God that came there. And you can see something of the rationale, how this made sense. Because it says right at the end of that last verse, it says, so they took his, this advice. Otherwise, they listened to him. This seemed to be the way, way to go. Now, they kind of listened to it, right? Because they didn't just leave them go. It says they beat them. And you have to understand what it means when they beat them, because what they would do in those days when they would beat a prisoner is that they would flog them. You know, and the Old Testament law said 40, no, no more than 40 lashes, so they would give them 39 lashes. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it would have taken months and months and months and months and months and months for them to recover from this beating. You know, their back would have been ripped open. You know, and all, and all of that. So they sort of listen to the advice of Gamaliel, but not all of it. And if Paul happens to be present, he certainly didn't take the advice of Gamaliel because he became one of the chief persecutors of the church very early on. But the thing that we have to remember in all of this is that this is a man 
who is giving advice, giving counsel, who has no affinity with Jesus Christ. You know, he's not a secret follower of Jesus Christ or anything. And so, the, so as a people of God, we have to ask ourselves, what do we do with his advice? What do we do with what he says? You know, and that's where I said, you know, even as we began, that a lot of people want to make Gamaliel a believer in the Lord Jesus. You know, and how they do this, in fact, this is one of the chief examples that there's a wideness in God's mercy that's more than we think. And there's individuals that happen to begin in human history, there's individuals that happen to begin out there that have believed on the Lord Jesus, even though they have not called him the Lord Jesus. They believed on some sort of Savior, some sort of Lord, some sort of one, again, who had come and take away their sins, even though they didn't know it was Jesus. And they would even say there's examples of that because you can see the wisdom, you can see the decency of these individuals through human history. They would name individuals like Plato, maybe Socrates, uh, maybe like Gandhi, who was known as a people, uh, a person of peace who really stood up for the underprivileged. And they would say Gamaliel is one of the chief examples of a person who did not know that he was believing on the Lord Jesus. Now, what, what do we do with this? And, and it's easy. You know, some of these individuals that history names knew of Jesus and they rejected Jesus. Gandhi knew of him. You know, Gamaliel knows of Jesus. And he rejects him. When you look at other individuals that happen to be again out there, they know the God of the Bible. They know something of him. And they want nothing to do with him. The reason why we have this recorded in the word of God is basically this. You know, to show none other than the sovereignty of God. God, but also show us, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there's many faces of unbelief. But at its core, again, is a rejection of Jesus Christ. There is a suppression of truth. And that's what you have in Gamaliel's life. But I'm going to come back to the question. Because it's easy to say yes and amen to all of that. But the question becomes, what's wrong with this response? How does it come up short? How would we ever see any unbelief in this response? And again, certainly God used it to preserve the life of the apostles, right? right? Jesus Christ says the, uh, uh, that he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18, right? We realize that truth. And God, uh, Jesus uses many times the decisions of mankind to preserve his church. And the apostles are chosen to lay the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. And he uses the counsel of this man to preserve that, to preserve the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly there seems to be some decency about this man, a sense of justice. He realizes somehow that they have not done anything worthy of death. But why is his answer wrong? And his answer is wrong. His answer is an answer of unbelief, certainly because of the examples he shows. Did you notice that? Right? Right. Look at Titus. 
Look at Judas the Galilean. They really looked impressive. They really looked like they were going to do something. They really looked and claimed that they were from God. But nothing came of them. I mean, he doesn't use the three Hebrew children that were thrown in the, in the furnace. Look at what man does. If you don't bow to the image, we're going to throw it. Our God is the God of heaven. And he's able to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we will not bow the knee. Right? Here's Moses against the power, the most awesome power on the face of the earth, Egypt. And he doesn't use that as an example. But what does he use as an example? These movements that came to nothing. So when he says, leave them alone, God will handle it. What do you think he's telling the Sanhedrin that God's going to do? You know, and his, he has the same animosity. He has the same rejection of Jesus. The, the Sanhedrin want to destroy Christianity by force. Gamaliel wants to destroy Christianity by, here it is, time. Just give it enough time. It'll be like all these other movements that happen in human history. You know, and it's a fatalistic answer, isn't it? It's a fatalistic answer that really doesn't come to grips with our responsibility before a holy God. When you look at the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures said, if there is a false prophet among you, guess what they were to be done? They were to be Remember? All right. All right. Let's look in the Old Testament. Let's see. You understand about I mean, can, can you think if all of a sudden I stood up here and I was answering some questions because there was somebody in the front lawn that set up a tent, you know, and all of a sudden they started preaching a different Jesus and a different way of salvation? You know, and even some very, uh, what we would say, uh, uh, very naive people in our congregation were taken and they started attending in the tent and I stood up and I said this, just relax. If it's from God, God will bless it. But if it's not from God, God will take care of it. I think there's going to be some tomatoes coming my way. And why? Because God has spoken. Right? Galatians chapter 1. If anyone preaches any other gospel, what? There to be anathema. Cursed by the people of God. Have nothing to do with them. Right? When you look at the majority of the New Testament uh, epistles, they're written because of error that has seeped into the church. And the writings are basically correction, again, of those errors. But his, his answer is Toleration. Right? And think of it, because I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt, when we see new philosophies in our world that happen to be around us, there's nothing new under the sun. And we live in the most tolerant society that happens to be around us, right? Just leave it. Just leave it. If you believe in God, God will take care of it, but just leave it. They're not doing any harm. Just leave it. Right? If that little boy believes he's a girl, just leave it. Right? If that man wants to dress like a woman, just leave it. Right? Don't, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Toleration. You know, and the definition, again, of toleration that our world has is much like Gamaliel. And it's basically this. God will take care of it. 
He, he and me and will work out what is right, what is wrong, but just leave it. Just leave it. Just leave it. Just leave it alone. In our society, the only thing that it condemns is those who will say that behavior, that teaching is wrong. And please understand this. I believe toleration in a free society is this. I am going to stand and fight for this person that I don't agree with, with their freedom to say what they believe in. But here's toleration. I have the right to say what you believe is wrong. This is what it says. Right? Don't we see that in the passage? Why are you still preaching in this name? Because God has commanded us to preach in this name. God has commanded that this truth is here. And it is amazing because our world says, oh, we're so sophisticated. We have such sophisticated, we've grown so much. It's none other than the philosophy of Gamaliel. There's something else that's wrong in Gamaliel's response, and it's basically this. He never grapples with the message that Peter preached. Right? Peter's on trial. Why are you to keep doing this? This is why. This is the Christ. This is where forgiveness of sins is found. And he never grapples with that. There's never a discussion about Jesus. There's never a discussion about, again, this man who claimed to be the Messiah, who came and fulfilled so-called all of the Old Testament, again, prophecies. This man who rose from the grave. There's never any talk about this at all. There's never interaction. But again, his answer is fatalistic. And think of it. This is somebody that's trained in the Old Testament. There's never any real honesty or looking for the truth. And this was the same problem of the Sanhedrin, right? It was just different. The Sanhedrin say, why are you preaching? We commanded you not. Here, Gamaliel just ignores it. Never interacts with those truths. And let me tell you, you can see that in Christianity. You can see that today in our society. You know, I, I don't know how many times this has happened, but it, somebody who's lived a very sinful life, which happens to be, again, all of us, by the way, comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, and their lives are changed. They're radically, they were going in one direction, and you see all of a sudden, they're going in an absolute new direction. It's just like they're new creatures. And we would say, yes, they are new creations in Jesus Christ. We would celebrate that fact right away. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, an old friend, an old acquaintance would come up to them and say, I am so glad that your life changed. I'm so glad that you found Jesus. I'm so glad that that worked for you. And you'll say, well, well let, me, let me tell you about him. And they say, no, 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 that's fine for you, but it's not fine for me. And then you would ask them, why is it not fine for you? And guess what they're going to say? I don't know why. I just don't want to consider Jesus. And it's the same unbelief of Gamaliel. Gamaliel has no desire whatsoever to examine the merits of Jesus Christ. And maybe that describes you. And if it does describe you, let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, it does not change the fact of your need of a redeemer, of a savior that haven't begun in your life. 
So this man never takes and makes this message personal. He just calmly gives advice and then rejects Jesus Christ. You know, these poor, uneducated fishermen. I mean, it could have gone like this. Listen, take care how you're going to handle these men. We are all sinners. We do not have to look too deeply into the scriptures to see this truth. We realize the Old Testament tells us, or the, uh, the scriptures tell us that Messiah is coming. And we cannot refute these signs and these wonders. We need to recognize and investigate if Jesus is the Christ. And if he's not the Christ, we need to reject him. We need to warn others to reject Jesus. But if he is the Christ, we need to bow the knee. But there is a very, very clear rejection of Jesus Christ. And I also think, again, as you look at this passage of Scripture, it really challenges us with the advice and counsel that we give others. As you look at that, what kind of counsel, what kind of advice do you give others? Somebody knocks in my office. Can I talk to you for a second? I was talking to so-and-so, and they told me I should leave my spouse. You know, uh, I just received this counsel. Here's somebody else. I just received this counsel, and they tell me that I should talk to so-and-so and give them a piece of my mind. You know, I talked to this person, and they said, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's right for me not to pay my debt. You know, I was listening, and I really appreciate what so-and-so said, because they said, I have every right to cut this person out of my life. Right? And these are believers. And let me say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I think a lot of times we speak too quickly, don't we? You know, I think a lot of times we should be silent. But I think a lot of times when we speak, it's never filtered through the gospel. We never ask this question, what I know about Christ, what I know about his word, what I know about his gospel, when I filter through this difficulty, this problem that this individual is going through, what is the most God-glorifying, the most Christ-centered response that they could have? And all of us are counselors. All of us are advice givers. All of us that belong to the household of faith. But is the gospel, is Jesus Christ at the center of what we say? As we look at this passage of scripture, it really challenges us with the many faces of unbelief. And many times, that unbelief is found right in the professing people of God. How are we responding to the difficulties, and even the, even the struggles of other people that happen to be in their life? There is nothing new under the sun. We need to watch our words and the counsel we give, and may it always point to the one we all need. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer.
Father, what an amazing passage of scripture. When we look at the words that people give, sometimes even psychiatrists and psychologists, Lord, and many times they give good advice, many times on a worldly level, on a human level. It seems so worldly. But many times the advice that we give, many times even advice from experts, happens to be, Lord, Godless. And what we mean by that is that you're not found. Your gospel is not found. Your, uh, your Jesus is not found. Lord, glorifying him, magnifying him. Lord, with this wonderful message of sacrifice, this wonderful message of redemption, this wonderful message of forgiveness, so much so that this message does not come into our hearts and into our minds and change the way we handle all of the trials, all of the difficulties, all of the adversities that we go through. Father, I pray that as, as Emmanuel Baptist Church, as instruments that are, that are in your hands, that we would be used in such a way, Lord, to help mold, help shape, help give advice, counsel, rebuke, Lord, um, educating and teaching others on the way of Christ that they might reflect him. We're asking you to do terrific things in each one of our lives that we might radiate Christ and the glory of his gospel. And it's for his glory we come this morning. Amen. Brother.